Welcome to Privacy Abbreviated, brought to you by BBB National Programs. As our regular listeners know, our goal here is to help business leaders prepare and operationalize for what's next in the privacy space. I'm Donna Frazier, Senior Vice President of Privacy Initiatives at BBB National Programs. And once again, I am joined by my co-host, Jason Kronk, Chair and Founder of the Institute of Operational Privacy Design. Hi, Jason. How are you? Hey, Donna. Doing great. Uh, Sitting here in an Airbnb in San Francisco today. (laughs) What are you doing in San Francisco? So it's a, it was a waypoint. Uh, I was in Los Angeles last week, uh, did a talk there. I'm headed later today to, to Denver and, and actually Boulder to the Privacy Law Scholars Conference next week. So I'm excited okay. to, to head over there and, and then on to Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference the next week, also in Denver. So excited to be in that area for, for a couple of weeks. Very cool. Very interesting. So next time we talk, you should have some new information to share. So I think both me and my listeners will will look forward to that. Absolutely. So, you know, I think the, the nature of the beast with the privacy space is that new legislation continues to loom on the state and federal level, and we see it internationally as well. But while all that is happening, and I'm sure you hear this as, as you're going from conference to conference, is that the privacy space continues to develop standards and frameworks, which provide I think really good support for organizations and help fill in the gaps, particularly as it comes to, you know, fulfilling compliance obligations, enabling global interoperability, and really generally helping companies build their own internal processes and essentially culture, their their internal culture as it relates to privacy operations and data ethics. Today, we're going to discuss one of those frameworks, the NIST Privacy Framework, which was released in January 2020. Um, Jason, I have to imagine as a privacy engineer, this is near and dear to your heart. So uh, why don't you talk about the framework and introduce our guest for today? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I've been a fan of the NIST privacy framework for a number of years since actually before it came out. I was uh, actively involved in uh, its development, attending some uh, workshops at NIST. Was, was, uh, it's, it's something I use in my practice uh, when I'm trying to help companies uh, build up their privacy program. Uh, I think it's a really nifty way of of organizing a privacy program, and uh, it takes a risk approach, which is so near and dear to my heart. We're joined by two two great guests today. Uh, I'm happy to have them. Our first is Nandita Narla, and she is a privacy engineer and works in privacy at, at DoorDash. I've served with Nandita on a number of different uh, groups. We were both part of the privacy engineering section uh, advisory group at the IAPP. We've been involved in the privacy workforce working group at NIST, which we'll talk about uh, a little bit later. And most recently, she is an active participant in the organization I represent, the Institute of Operational Privacy Design and is chair of the Standards Committee over there. Our other guest is Dylan Gilbert. Dylan is a privacy policy advisor at NIST, the National Institutes of Standards, where he is part of the privacy engineering program and has worked on the privacy framework aspects. And I'll certainly let him fill out anything anything more. So welcome to our guest. I'm going to start out, let's, let's, let's talk to, to Dylan to kind of set the, the framework. First off, Dylan, welcome. Thanks for joining. Thanks, Jason. I uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to come. And thanks, Donna, as well. And, and chat about the framework with you all. You, you 
you got my role spot on, uh, so no need to offer any additional details. But I am the NIST Privacy Framework lead, so you got the right guy on the on the pod. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's that's why we brought you here. So, so just again for the for our listeners who may not be familiar with NIST, the privacy program there, the privacy framework. Can you get just give us some just level set and and give us the. 411 about it the basics right yeah, it's, yeah absolutely in the most simple terms the this privacy framework is a voluntary law sector and tech helps organizations better manage their privacy risks so you know as you mentioned it takes a risk-based approach to to privacy we are a non-regulatory agency so this is not a compliance document it has no force of law but rather it's a tool that helps organizations identify and prioritize based on their unique privacy risks and in and unique context, privacy risk management outcomes and activities, and then help them work towards achieving those. So as you mentioned, and actually I was a part of the development process as a stakeholder as well before I came to NIST. NIST helped, held an open and transparent development process with uh, public comments and multiple public workshops throughout the country and got a big, you know, a very diverse, broad set of stakeholders from public sector, private sector, academia, civil society to come together and put together this tool. And then it was released. Version 1.0 was released in January of 2020, uh, as Donna mentioned. Yeah, great. So, so just uh, quickly, because some, some of our listeners may be more familiar with the cybersecurity framework. Can you Talk to us a bit about the relationship between the two. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you don't have to squint too hard to see that they're they're quite similar, particularly in their structure. They're structurally identical. That was something that stakeholders at NIST expressed a clear desire from the get-go for the NIST privacy framework to reflect the same structural kind of components as the NIST cybersecurity framework. So, you know, the cybersecurity framework is going to be a tool for managing cybersecurity risks at the enterprise level. And there's certainly a relationship between cybersecurity and privacy risks, right? And there's an overlap in that kind of Venn diagram. So you can have situations in which there could be a, a loss of CIA, confidentiality, availability, integrity of data that could create privacy problems to individuals, things like a data breach, for example. But then there's going to be privacy risks that can, that can arise from just data processing more generally that may not have any anything to do with the loss of CIA. And so the cybersecurity framework and the privacy framework can kind of be used together to cover that whole extent of that Venn diagram. And again, are designed to be structurally identical to facilitate you know, use between the two of them. Great, great. D- Donna, d- feel free to jump in. It's important, I think, to point out, and I think both Dylan and Nandita can explain why this is something that works across organizations of varying sizes, right? I mean, there are, you've kind of split it up into into three parts. I'd love for you to talk about the three different parts, core, the profiles, the implementation tiers, but also I think talk about, because I think many of our listeners are small business owners, are operationalizing what their internal functions are, are always trying to figure out how do we do this, right? especially when it comes to the exchange of data across borders. And BBB National Programs is an accountability agent under APEC. We talk about that. How do these different frameworks work together? Do they work together? But I think most importantly, how do small businesses, medium-sized businesses use this framework? 
Yeah, and, and so I am happy to kind of just do a quick table set on this. I don't know if Nandita, you wanted to jump in, but in, in terms of just the core components, uh, as mentioned, these are identical with the NIST cybersecurity framework. So we have the core, we have profiles and implementation tiers. And so you can think of the core as sort of a menu of options. As I mentioned, it lays out uh, dozens of risk management outcomes and activities that an organization can choose to prioritize based on a number of considerations. So this could be, what is your mission? What are your compliance obligations? What are your resources? What are your, <laughs> what's your risk tolerance? All these types of things need to be taken into consideration to then select from the core, kind of like a menu of options to create a profile of where your organization is now, a current profile, and then a target profile of where you want your organization to be in terms of its risk management outcomes and activities. And then the implementation tiers can, can serve as organizational benchmarks to help to drive conversations around what needs to be put in place to get from where you are now to where you need to be, things like uh, workforce, for example, or resources or, or other things like that. Yeah, it would be great. Let's bring Nandita in here for briefly. So, Nandita, what brought you to the privacy framework? So let's let's hear a little bit different perspective of kind of from an implementer side. Where did you first hear about it? How did you get involved? Sure. I was part of a big four consulting firm uh, focusing on privacy program, like helping companies, uh, specifically medium-sized companies, uh, build privacy programs as well as do assessments. So prior to the NIST privacy framework being introduced, a lot of companies had their own custom frameworks. I was also part of the team that developed some of the custom frameworks for the big four that I was a part of. So that's where I got involved in the whole privacy framework development process. When NIST was introduced, we saw a shift from many companies wanted to use a widely accepted common Again, like Dylan mentioned, regulation agnostic, industry agnostic framework and saw wide adoption specifically for organizations which had already implemented the cybersecurity framework. So it maps really well. And that was the reason most organizations moved towards adoption for the NIST privacy framework. And I was part of the initial team that was doing these implementations, and that's how I got involved. Okay, okay. So Donna mentioned uh, that the audience of this program is generally small and medium-sized businesses. And, and I don't think, it, you know, I mean, we're not talking florist shops, a few hundred employees or something like this. I, I mean, do you think, I, I mean, most people, when they first look at the framework, it looks kind of intimidating. Do you think it's it's applicable to smaller and medium-sized businesses? And then I'll ask the same question of, of Dylan as well to follow up. Absolutely. And I've seen uh, not just very early stage startups use the NIST privacy framework. And they've they've used it effectively using profiles and, and setting good target and, and current states. Most of the, the impetus for adopting this framework for the really early stage startups comes from due diligence that they have to undergo if they are processing any sort of PII, if they are required to get a SOC certification, those organizations have also used the NIST privacy framework or in general to show some level of compliance using crosswalks. And we can, we can talk about regulatory crosswalks as well. 
I've seen it in work very well. And I feel like the earlier you start using widely accepted framework, the better the company is set for maturing the program over time. Ooh, uh, Nandita, you just said something that was like chalk going across a chalkboard for me. That was PII. <laughs> so I'm going to turn it over to Dylan to answer the same question about small and medium businesses. But Dylan, if you would insert, so PII is not found in the NIST privacy framework. So if you could mm-hmm. add on uh, to that <laughs> as well. Sure. Well, I'll take the SMB topic first. I came to NIST in March of 2020. Interesting timing, as you all can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) And one of my first jobs when I got to NIST was to create a implementation guide for small and medium businesses. You know, this this conversation that you all were having and that Donna teased at the top has been top of mind even from before the framework existed saying, look, this is cybersecurity framework. We, we've, we can see how that has been used. It's kind of a similar type of tool. We have concerns as stakeholders that maybe the SMBs may be intimidated or, or a little bit lost, which is very reasonable. So I spent the better part of a year when I started talking with stakeholders and collaborating as we do at NIST to put together a, a quick start guide, just a little two-page document for a small and medium businesses. Well, I think one of the more interesting kind of takeaways from those conversations was that I think this still holds true today, even though it's been a couple of years since. Even large organizations have often have very small privacy teams or programs, you know, maybe one person that's very common for the CISO just to be doing privacy at a lot of organizations. And so basically, in some ways, this isn't this document wasn't just for an SMB is for any organization that may have a early stage kind of immature program or, or maybe be kind of understaffed. And so we put this together. It has basic questions to answer outcomes to achieve to help organizations kind of get their foot in the door, so to speak, with privacy framework implementation. And one of the foundational activities is going to be thinking through or not thinking through, it's going to be identifying what is the data that you're processing, right? Like, uh, and, and at least it, mapping it out in a simple way doesn't necessarily have to be comprehensive. What is all the data that we're processing, collecting, sharing, using storage as a foundation for understanding our privacy risks? But note, we, we frame that as data, not PII or any other specific term of art that may be legally defined. That's part of this kind of broad applicability that this legal and regulatory neutral approach that we take where we want organizations to be thinking about their data processing writ large, not necessarily something that may be legally defined or understood as just simply personal data, because there are privacy risks that can arise from any kind of data processing. Hopefully that helps with that uh, yeah. the PII comment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I want to go back to something, Nadita, that you said earlier about getting started really early, right, for the small startups. I, what I find really helpful about this framework is that it's an opportunity for companies that are just starting to actually have the conversations about what are we planning to do, right? This, I think it maps out forward and future thinking for companies who are very small. It's something that we do in our assessments as well with companies where they're just coming to us, starting to build out whatever it is, whatever product it is. And we ask them questions that they don't even think about asking. And I think the framework does that for companies as well. It really forces them to really think about, well, what are we planning to do and how do we resolve this and what are the risks for us? But also I'd be interested to hear from both of you as to whether or not you think this is a tool for those companies who have, okay, we've established something, we have a product, we have a website, we have an online service, whatever it is. 
but we're having a hard time getting our CEOs to understand that there's a real buy-in that they need to do with regards to, to privacy and cybersecurity. Does the framework, do you think, help that conversation internally? I have seen organizations use the NIST privacy framework as sort of an assessment tool and show that there are large areas where there are gaps, where controls don't exist, large number of subcategories where there has absolutely been no work done and that there is a large amount of unmitigated risk. So that has helped get buy-in when you see a lot of things that are absolutely non-existent especially if the organization already has a security program in place. But in in the end, like most companies that, especially small and medium businesses, they're very compliance oriented and not really risk focused. So helping show that this is also a compliance risk helps get buy-in if, if, if the executive team is not already on board. Jason, I know you probably have another question or two in, the, in your back pockets. Oh, oh, oh. So going back to that, that risk discussion, Nanita just brought up about organizational risk and compliance risk, but privacy risks in the, the NIST privacy framework is, is defined differently. What is that definition, Dylan? I mean, I'm not asking you to recite the <laughs> definition from heart, <laughs> right. but can you describe how it's different from how most organizations may be thinking about risk? Well, yeah, I think that what was important was to establish a common language and understanding around privacy risk and privacy risk management, something that was has been very mature in the cybersecurity context, but wasn't really something that was on the radar screen for privacy. And that was part of our key goal in the privacy engineering program is to kind of build out this type of lexicon, privacy risk models, privacy engineering objectives, things of that nature to provide some rigor and some, um, you know, some uniformity, consistency around what privacy risk is and how it can better be managed because that type of language is so critical for communicating about privacy practices, right, both internally and externally, encouraging cross-organizational workforce collaboration. And then, of course, doing what a lot of folks call privacy by design. We call privacy engineering, essentially taking privacy into account as systems, products, and services are designed and deployed. And so privacy risk in general within this privacy framework conception is the likelihood that data processing activities will create problems to to individuals and the impact should that occur. So when we're talking about data processing, we're talking about the full data lifecycle from collection through disposal, data in digital and non-digital form, and then problems to individuals. We have a non-exhaustive list catalog of privacy problems that we have in our privacy risk assessment methodology, but essentially we're talking about things that are maybe more abstract harms like like uh, dignity types effects, reputational harm to more concrete harms like discrimination, physical and financial harm. So you want to be thinking about as you're doing this risk assessment, what is the connection between our data processing activities as an organization, the likelihood that those will create these problems to individuals, the impact should that occur. And then, of course, that's going to have knock-on effects on the organization, right? There will be, there's a lineage or a traceability between the organization's data processing and then the overall kind of impacts that this could have at the organizational level, things like reputational harm, non-compliance costs, things of that nature. And so we wanted to draw that connection to help bring privacy 
into parity with the other risks that organizations are managing at the organizational level. So that's why it's called an enterprise risk management tool. And so it's this kind of a part of the bigger picture, right, where you're thinking about the risk-based approach, how the privacy risk assessment plays such a critical role. You have to have the sort of the pieces of the puzzle in place, both as inputs to the risk assessment, whether that's things like you know, what are my organization's privacy values? You know, what are its resources, things like that. And then all the way to the outputs, because once you've identified your risk and determined how you want to respond to them, then being able to recognize what outcomes and activities are going to be necessary to sort of achieve those goals, including putting privacy controls in place. So it's all, and, and it's an ongoing process, right? You don't just sort of, that's why the the compliance checklist approach in our view, isn't as effective of a way to do privacy. It's a, it's an ongoing way to respond to, as Donna mentioned at the top, a very complex and dynamic regulatory environment. And the, the reality is that technology is always going to outpace laws. So it's, it's going to be helpful for an organization to stay ahead of the curve by managing its risks proactively rather than being reactive. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned PRAM, the Privacy Risk Assessment Methodology, and that's one of the resources that NIST provides along with many others. And just for everyone's edification, the, the Privacy Risk Framework is not a self-contained document. It's, it's meant to be used with a lot of other inputs as well. Can you tell us about some of the other resources that NIST provides or, or links to and how they play in? And I'm especially thinking about, because you mentioned regulatory compliance and stuff, the, the crosswalks, although I'm not singling those out. So we do have, encourage folks to check out the NIST Privacy Framework website. Got a, a lot of good stuff there. We have a learning center, which is a, a good one-stop shop just to like get initiated with the framework. So that's where you're going to find things like this quick start guide. We have it in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. Some videos to just kind of introduce the framework, ranging from a four-minute high-level video all the way down to the the two-hour deep dive for those that really want to get in the weeds like Jason. And we have some hypothetical use cases that kind of can help organizations with how to develop a NIST privacy framework profile. Then we also have an online resource repository, and that has, as Jason mentioned, crosswalks, which are mappings between various laws or regulations or standards to the NIST privacy framework, which offer a real helpful place to get started with framework implementation. Uh, We also have mapping between the framework and our controls catalog in NIST special publication 853 revision 5, so that you can sort of, again, map if you have an outcome or activity identified in the framework that is a priority, you can and take a look at which specific controls from 853 may map there. And then, as you mentioned, we also have the NIST Privacy Framework Risk Assessment Methodology if an organization wants to use that as a way for them to assess their risks. But as with everything in the framework, it's all voluntary. Yeah, so Dylan, have you memorized all the the special publications of, of this? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> So, Nandita, do you find any of the resources particularly helpful for implementers or that you would recommend? And I know you recently worked on a crosswalk. I don't know if you want to mention that and, and your experience about that. I found the the crosswalks really helpful because, uh, like I mentioned, most of the smaller organizations are looking for a compliance-based program. So it, it helps them get started if they can show like GDPR or CCPA compliance using 
the NIST Privacy Framework. There are a couple of other resources on the same site that Dylan mentioned. I've also submitted some resources for a reference architecture working with the Ethical Tech Project. That's something I think privacy engineers would like to check out on how permissions are propagated in an ecosystem to third parties. I've also worked on a crosswalk for the NIST privacy framework to the AICPA trust services principles uh, for any organizations that are looking for a SOC 2 type 2 privacy certification and how they can use the NIST privacy framework for that. Okay. Okay. Great. I know you mentioned earlier that the BBB runs a number of programs related to, I'm wondering, is is the NIST privacy framework helpful to businesses in in that respect at all? Or does that that provide, I mean, can you, is there any relationship that you can relate? Yeah, no, absolutely. We actually did a crosswalk with our APEC CBPR framework with the NIST framework. And it's proven to be extremely helpful and something that we do talk to companies about. And we are pointing to it. And I think we're getting into doing self-regulation under CCPA and CPRA. I think the NIST framework is something that we would continue to point to. I want to go back to something that Dylan said, though, which is when you have frameworks like this, you can move more quickly than legislation can with regards to keeping up with technology. What do you see the next steps are? Is this something, is, is this like the constitution? Is this living, breathing thing that continues to evolve? What do you see the next steps as? So as with all NIST, at least certainly the NIST cybersecurity framework can be a good example. The cybersecurity framework is currently undergoing a uh, an update to cybersecurity framework version 2.0, a big update. And if folks are unaware of that, I encourage them to plug in uh, on that uh, work stream. But similarly with the privacy framework, we will be revisiting it, opening up the hood, so to speak, as time goes by to make sure that it's responding to and addressing the stakeholder needs when it comes to privacy risk management. So at some point, there's no timeline or anything concrete in place right now for that. But at some point, we will open up a process to revisit the framework and ask our stakeholders, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? What are ways that we can improve? And so um, we'll absolutely be continuing to evolve it in a way that will be responsive to the needs of uh, stakeholders, and as well as just like the general privacy landscape and and how data processing technologies may create privacy problems for individuals. Is what you're talking about separate and apart from the working groups that exist? Yes, absolutely. That would be kind of more of an overall kind of framework update process. But meanwhile, we do have in particular one working group. It's a public working group that's running right now on privacy workforce. Workforce was a challenge that stakeholders signaled, again, even as far back as the development process with identifying, uh, cultivating, I suppose, a workforce capable of managing privacy risk. Basically, demand was outpacing supply. And, And in addition to that, thinking through, well, if I have created my profile, my priority outcomes and activities in the privacy framework, what the framework does not do is really answer the how question. So it may say, hey, this is an important outcome for me to achieve. Data elements can be accessed for deletion, for example. That's one of our subcategories. But it doesn't say how you do that. So what we were working to do with the Privacy Workforce Public Working Group is identify tasks 
knowledge and skills that are aligned with the NIST privacy framework to help organizations answer that how question and get down to that next level of implementation, which we think will be really helpful for small and medium businesses. So I think you you touched on something that I think would probably be a good place for us to end the conversation, which is discussing the challenges, right? The implementation challenges with the framework. So I, I would pose to both Dylan and and Nandita, what challenges you see with, with implementation? So I think the biggest challenge I see is usually buy-in and executive support. I think without that, it's it's very difficult to get the program off the ground. The second challenge is on awareness and, and just knowledge of how to use the NIST privacy framework. Unfortunately, I do see a lot of people using it like a compliance checklist. So Looking forward to the public workforce working group content and the task knowledge and skill statements that come out of it that can help educate consultants and privacy practitioners on how to use the framework better. And the third challenge I see is there are components in the privacy framework which are sort of adjacent to privacy and need a lot of cross-functional collaboration, uh, specifically on the data management side, on, on GRC vendor risk, legal. So for privacy teams that are like a team of one, it becomes difficult for them to implement those um, subcategories or or areas if they don't have the partnership from other players in the organization. Um, Dylan, do you have more challenges to add to that? No, I mean, I think that covered it well. I mean, in addition to that sort of answering the how question that we're covering with the PWWG, I do think also that, as I mentioned, with privacy risk management being more of an immature type of field, so to speak, than cybersecurity, that there are perhaps some questions that organizations may have around, like, what are key privacy risk management practices, considerations around both privacy risk management and its relationship to cybersecurity, and also the role of the privacy risk assessment. So I did want to make sure to note that we have an Appendix D within the NIST privacy framework that offers some guidance around privacy risk management practices, like organizing preparatory resources, risk management role assignments, and identifying key stakeholders, things of that nature, as well as determining organizational privacy capabilities. So uh, folks like to go straight to the NIST privacy framework core when they're using it, which is totally understandable, but don't sleep on the uh, other stuff we have within the framework, including the (laughs) appendices, because it can provide some very helpful guidance, we think. Great. And we will provide links where where possible, for sure. So Jason, before we conclude, anything else you would like to add? Uh, So I I, I just want to reiterate what both of our guests said about uh, implementation and the challenges. I see a a lot of organizations looking at the privacy framework, as it was said, as kind of a compliance checklist and, and just kind of going through it. But then looking at it very siloed, like, what can we do with in our little tiny privacy department of one, two, three people and not realizing that this privacy is an organizational effort. And in order to achieve many of the outcomes, you're going to need buy-in and support from outside the organization. It can't, privacy can't be something that you just ship off to privacy council or or the privacy officer so that they can like do some little documentation that they file away. Uh, it has to be an organizational effort. And I think the, the NIST privacy framework, it puts that front and center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if people are using it correctly, it challenges their assumptions. And, and therefore, that can be scary sometimes. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I see the framework as an opportunity for organizations to have real honest conversations about what they're going to do, what they want to do, and how they're going to address the risks that are potentially in front of them. And I think along with cybersecurity and, and privacy, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, if something's going to happen, it's when something's going to happen, and, and how do you mitigate for that? So on that note, I really want to thank our guests today, Dylan and Nandita. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us. I think this was a really helpful conversation. And um, Jason, as always, thank you. Safe travels. You're going to be in Denver for a little while, so hold it down in Denver. <laughs> and if you missed any of our previous episodes, please check them out at accountabilitystudios.org, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. And please leave us a review. Let us know what you'd like to hear next on Privacy Abbreviated. Thank you so much. Thank you, Donna.